Today's podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, and medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburn, rashes, and other types of skin damage. And the best part is that it's safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for use on all skin types and all parts of the body, even with rosacea, eczema, or acne-prone skin. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the littlest member of your family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all your family's skin health needs. I have three kids. We have injuries in our house almost daily, and so it's so nice to have active skin repair to reach for in my cabinet because I know that it's safe, natural, and non-toxic. We use it for things like burns or scrapes or cuts. My youngest daughter recently had a really bad finger injury and we were using it on her and it did not sting or burn her at all. So it was perfect. Today, as a listener of this podcast, you can get a special discount on your order of active skin repair. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more and to get 20% off your order, use code no one told us. That's activeskinrepair.com code no one told us for 20% off your order. Welcome to No One Told Us, the podcast that tells the truth about parenting and talks about all the stuff you wish you knew before having kids. I'm your host, Rachel Shepard Ota, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Miriam Kermayer, who is a clinical psychologist, leading friendship expert, and an influential speaker on human connection and social support. With over a decade of research on the science of friendship, Dr. Miriam is revolutionizing the way that we show up for, mentor, and connect with each other. She's one of the first and only clinical psychologists to specialize in adult friendships and shares guidance on navigating friendship and relationship challenges with tens of thousands of people throughout her popular online community. And she's also a mom of two herself. So thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited to talk with you about this. And we've chatted in the past. I think that this is such an important topic and one that people are kind of like embarrassed to talk about just judging by what people tell me on Instagram and what I've gone through in my own life that making friends and keeping friends, especially in those initial years postpartum can be really challenging and can feel really lonely. So I'm so glad that you're here to talk with us about this. Yeah. I I appreciate you drawing attention first and foremost to that piece of the shame that can accompany this because on the one hand, we will all have and be a friend at some point in our lives, hopefully throughout our lives, right? But the challenges that come with that of making new friends and meeting new people and navigating the ups and downs and losing touch with a friend, these are all relationship experiences that, again, inevitably so many of us will go through and yet so few of us are talking openly about. And the really interesting thing that the research is certainly showing us and that a lot of us in this space are talking about is human connection, our need for belonging and for friendship and for acceptance. This is a fundamental biological need that we all have. And in many ways, it's just as important as the other biological needs that we have. And yet we don't have that same shame when we feel thirsty, when we are hungry. There isn't the same shame that accompanies that. And for all sorts of reasons, when we feel lonely, when that's our bodies and our brains sign that we are in need of connection, There is this sense of shame that can creep up. And the problem, of course, is that shame is a silencer. And so then we end up not reaching out for the connection that we are so in need of. And it can become a vicious cycle for so many people. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. And so what really got you started in this work and in this specialty? Because like I said in the intro, there's not a ton of people doing what you do or talking about this in this way. So what kind of made you interested in taking this kind of as a specialty? Yeah, there were there were a few contributing factors. Like anything, it's always a mix of, you know, a bit of the personal, a bit of the professional. I was involved very early on in my training with clinical psychologists by training. And very early on, I was working closely with children and with families. And for the most part, in the academic literature and in clinical practice and just in our kind of everyday approach to parenting, there is very much an explicit emphasis on helping kids to build friendships. And there's Mm. this overall recognition that it's important for children to learn those pro-social skills. We place so much emphasis on helping our children learn how to share and to tell the truth and to be kind, right? And so all of those skills are really in the spirit of developing close, healthy friendships, which are the first relationships that we have with other people very often and then future healthy relationships. And so there's a lot of support and talk in place for helping kids and teens to navigate that. But one of the things that I was noticing is that there was very little information about the challenges that we experience as adults, as young adults and beyond in our friendships. And there were very little systems of support available. So I kind of took it upon myself to start researching adult friendships, to start answering some of those questions of, well, why are they so important, but also the how, how do we actually build new connections? How do we actually maintain our friendships when we are entering different life phases or stages? And to start sharing that kind of information uh, first online, then through the media, and now, of course, through the work that I do as a speaker and consultant in this space. I love that. And you mentioned that there was also maybe a personal aspect Mm -hmm. to it too. Can you share a little bit about friendships that you've had that have changed or shifted or ended and how that kind of informs what you share with clients and online. Definitely. So it's interesting. Sometimes the personal piece is only apparent in hindsight. And in the Mm. moment, we don't necessarily realize that that's guiding us in a certain direction. But when I look back, I can see how not only have the friends that I've had at particular points in my life been hugely important and provided me with the sense of support and connection that made certain life challenges uh, possible and others much more meaningful. I can also look back and recognize moments where I was in unhealthy friendships and it took me longer than I cared to admit to let go or I would say more often, you know, more more commonly was the experience of having a group of friends or having specific friendships that for one reason or another just faded over time and being left with a lot of conflicting feelings about that feeling guilty. Did I not do enough to hold on to those friendships? Uh, Feeling like I failed in some way that we, I'm using air quotes here, right? We should hold on to every friendship that we've ever made. And of course, now I know that that's so untrue, but those are just some of the beliefs that I noticed coming up in myself and and started hearing in other people as well. And so the more I could kind of tap into my own internal narrative about what it means to be a friend and to have friends as adults, and the more I was hearing echoes of that in other people, the more I realized that these are things that we really do need to be speaking about. And I hope that I can Um, use my personal experience to lessen some of that shame and isolation that people feel. Because if I, as a psychologist, right, we're supposed to have our 
shit together, (laughs) which of course we know is, but if I, as a psychologist and if I, as someone who is very familiar with all the research, have all of this information, then why is it that I'm still struggling? And it's because these are human struggles, that these are things that, again, we will all go through. And it doesn't mean that we are bad friends or not worthy of meaningful connections. It just means that there's all sorts of challenges that can stand in the way of making and maintaining those close connections. That makes total sense. At the very beginning, you talked about how the need for connection and then the need for other people is like this biological need, right? It's our need to attach to other people. Do our attachment styles and like the way that we were raised have anything to do with the way we navigate friendships and relationships later on in adulthood? And how does that show up? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting research in this space. And if anyone who's listening is interested in learning more specifically about the link between attachment styles and friendship, well, two books that I have to recommend. One is called Attached, which is all about the science mm-hmm. of attachment and how that links up with our romantic relationships and love. But there's also Platonic by Dr. Marissa Franco, and that's a great book as well. So there's a few things to speak to here. One of the things that's very clear is, yes, of course, our early sense of attachment. And so that is really talking about uh, the attachment that we build typically with our primary caregiver, who's often a parent, uh, that can inform how secure we feel in our relationships later on. And that includes our friendships, that includes our romantic relationships later on in life. And so we know that people who are securely attached tend to have more securely attached relationships of all kinds later on in life. But one of the really interesting things is that our attachment styles can vary depending on the type of relationship in question. And so It's certainly possible, and I've seen it, people who are securely attached, uh, had a secure attachment when they were younger, who would report being very securely attached in their romantic relationship can still struggle when it comes to our friendships because Mm -hmm. they are just a different type of relationship. the other thing that I, I think is important to point out is our friendship history. This is kind of what I call those early experiences of friendship, the friendships we had when we were in elementary school, in high school, that that in so many ways can pave the way for later friendship success or later friendship challenges and difficulties. And so really interestingly, the friendships that we have, uh, for example, as teens inform, yes, of course, our well-being at that very moment and our sense of connection at that very moment, but are also predictive of later well-being and later relational success and actually later professional success even. So there really does seem to be this very strong connection between the quality of our connections and our well-being and relationships, both in the immediate and long-term. Wow. I would love to talk to you about that in more detail about how we can support children's peer relationships and things Mm -hmm. like that, because like you just said, it's so important for them lifelong. But first, I'd love to focus on us as the adults, as the parents. Like I said earlier, it's so hard to keep friendships and to make new friendships as not only as an adult with, you know, our busy lives and everything we have going on, but particularly as a new parent, there's just, there's so many barriers, it feels like, to maintaining friendships, even when we really want to. Why do you think that is? And are there other things that we should be doing in the, you know, pregnancy or postpartum or early parenthood stage to maintain those relationships? Yeah. Oh, these are great questions. So let's talk about that first piece of why is it so challenging? The truth is that no matter our life stage or experience, it can be challenging. And there are all sorts of reasons why. Of course, we know that maintaining friendships and building friendships is a significant investment of our resources, of our time, of our energy, uh, of our emotional energy. We need to be comfortable with a certain level of openness and vulnerability and uh, reciprocity that 
can be very taxing on our systems, especially when we already feel taxed. And so that demand of resources is one of the common complaints that I hear of, Miriam, I just don't have the time to invest in building new friendships. Or I already feel so tapped out and touched out when it comes to caregiving for my children, for my family, for my partner. I don't have anything left to give, to pour into anyone else. And so that's certainly a common theme that comes up here. The shift that I often invite people to make is it's very easy to see uh, our friendships as being an expenditure of resources, Mm -hmm. which again, they are. There's truth to that. I get why that comes up. But we need to be very mindful about balancing that with the reality that we also receive a tremendous amount of energy and of, again, that sense of belonging from investing in our friendships. And so if we only look at it from one direction, if we only see it as a, as a, as an expense, then when we're doing this cost benefit analysis of is it which our brains are doing all the time, even outside of our awareness, then it's very easy to convince ourselves that we don't have the time, that it's just not worth it, that we don't have the capacity right now. And if we can push back against that just a little by remembering that we get so much from investing in our friendships, that support, that sense of belonging, that connection is crucial when it comes to our mental health, our physical well-being, our ability to cope postpartum. We get a tremendous amount of wisdom that helps us to be more confident and comfortable in our parenting practices. And so if we can really tap into that side of things, then it makes the energy expenditure a little bit more tolerable. Yeah, it makes it feel more worth it, right? When we feel like we are going to be getting something back. What advice would you give to someone who's struggling to make new friends? Maybe they're, you know, kind of isolated. I feel like that's a huge problem in our society right now is that we culturally are just very isolated, very individualistic. But then especially as as new moms, we're very isolated from community. So what would be like a piece of advice that you would give someone who's maybe not really connecting with people that are close by them or, you know, their friendships have faded away and they, they're looking for new friends or looking for mom friends, you know, a group of other parents that they can be friends with? What would What would you tell them? Yeah, honor that inner yearning. <laughs> Give that voice a megaphone. There's a part of you that is clearly in need of connection. And of course you are. That makes so much sense. And it makes sense why that is showing up in that moment. Parenthood is wonderful and beautiful and also incredibly messy and incredibly lonely. And it's hard sometimes to recognize loneliness for what it is because we are constantly surrounded by someone. We have someone, something attached to us at every minute of the day of the night. And so to some extent, it's hard to reconcile the sense of loneliness that we feel because we're not necessarily socially isolated in the way that we might assume uh, loneliness uh, accompanies itself. Uh, But so I think recognizing that, honoring that voice and being intentional about expanding your network. And so the different strategies that I often recommend, one is, of course, turning to community. And that community can take so many forms. I think that right, the community you've built online is one example of that, where people can feel a, a little bit less alone, can connect with other people who are in a similar life stage, can have their experiences heard and questions answered. Uh, there are also tons of apps and platforms available now to, to help new moms connect with each other, things like Peanut, which is mm-hmm. an app for helping moms uh, connect with new friends. And of course, again, provides a little bit of that support and uh, psychoeducation about some of the challenges that come up. But, uh, you know, a step 
go a step even further and take it offline and take it into your everyday life because we know that online connections are helpful and can be a starting point, but aren't enough to really fulfill that need for connection and belonging. And so see what resources are available in your neighborhood. Sometimes there are local shops or community centers that will offer events or workshops or weekly classes or drop-ins for parents. And that can be another great place to start. We can also leverage our existing community and social network. This is one strategy that feels really vulnerable, but doing a little bit of an open call to people, whether it's on your own online community or people that you know, let them know that you're looking for new friends. You're hoping to meet new people. You're hoping to connect with fellow parents. People are very willing and happy to set us up and connect us with people, usually far more than we expect them to be. Yeah. Even if you just like, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud, if you, you know, had one or two friends or people in the neighborhood, you know, and say, Hey, like, let's get a book club together, like a mom's book club or something. And then each person could invite a couple people. And like, next thing you know, you have a whole group that can get together for something, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You can, of course, look for events like that, as I said, through community spaces, through uh, online platforms, things like Meetup and Facebook will post various groups and activities that you can be a part of. But I love the idea of being an initiator and a self-starter and Mm -hmm. start the group that you wish you had. And people will be forever grateful for that. For sure. Yeah. I love that idea too. So do you think, or is there any research on if this is cultural? Cause I know there's, you know, there've been pieces written about the loneliness epidemic or, you know, different things like that within our culture here in the United States, at least. So do you see that this is a problem elsewhere? Is it universal or is it kind of us in a bubble here? It's an interesting question. So the first thing that I'll say is the research on adult friendship itself is so scarce. And we really do need more work being done in that area. So I'm always appreciative of people who are really working to answer these questions empirically. And nowadays, we also can't separate out the impact of the pandemic, right? That, That has had a tremendous impact on how connected people feel, the opportunities to connect, the opportunities to do that in a way that feels safe and aligned with our personal values and unique situations. So rates of loneliness are increasing. And I hesitate because depending on the research, it's it's slightly nuanced, but people are certainly lonely and social network sizes are shrinking and the quality of the connections and the overall sense of community that people Uh, experience is diminishing. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we are seeing uh, in all sorts of communities and cultures. I think you touched on something really important earlier, which is this idea that the individualistic society in which we live, primarily in North America, really does us a tremendous disservice in a lot of ways. And I'll also say, so I'm actually located in Canada, but this is where there is a difference between the US and Canada because here we have a very different system for maternity leave. And that is so very helpful for all sorts of reasons, but it's also helpful from the standpoint of social connection that you can really take that time to nurture your relationships and friendships with other parents and build in that community early on that is helpful not only in those early days, but throughout the ups and downs of parenthood. And it is very difficult when you are um, a parent who needs to, a new parent who needs to return to work so soon and uh, switch gears immediately. And you don't necessarily have the time to invest in nurturing those connections. That That is, that is something that is a, a tremendous challenge. And uh, I, I feel for anyone who's in that situation for all sorts of reasons. 
Yeah, that's so true. Okay, we're going to be right back. Now, if you know me, you know that I love to cook and I love creating healthy meals for my family. But even more than that, I love things that are easy and convenient. And even though I love to cook dinner for my kids, sometimes for things like lunches or if I'm just going to be working at night and need something easy for myself to grab, I love Factors meals. And especially now in the spring and summertime where we've got more plans, we're busier, we're outside, we're going out and doing things more. Having Factor meals in my fridge is such a game changer because they're healthy, they're zero prep and they're so fresh and delicious factors fresh and never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes right from your microwave so no matter how busy you are you always have time to enjoy nutritious and great tasting meals and when i tell you they are actually delicious i 100 recommend these my mom even recently asked me are they really good i heard you talking about them on your podcast but is it are you really saying that you like them and i said yes you have to order them they are actually so so yummy so what are you waiting for? There are 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons you can choose from each week. So you always have new flavors to explore. You'll never get bored with the same old meals. They truly taste like restaurant quality. So you don't feel like you're depriving yourself of anything. It actually feels like you're fueling up your body with delicious food that is real and super, super nutrient dense. So you can enjoy this effortless support to your lifestyle, choose from six menu preferences to help you manage whatever goals you have, and simply just eat well-balanced, delicious, easy food. Head to factormeals.com slash no one told us 50 and use code no one told us 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. So this is an amazing deal. That's code no one told us 50 at factormeals.com slash no one told us 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% of your next month while your subscription is active. And feel free to send me a message and ask me for my favorite meals because I love talking about them and I'll be happy to help you choose. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Dr. Miriam, and now I'd love to hear your thoughts on struggles and conflicts in friendships, because another thing I hear a lot in my online community is this idea of, well, my friend doesn't agree with the way that I parent, or I don't agree with the way that my friend parents, so how can I still be friends with them? Or this is causing a lot of friction or awkwardness in our conversations or in our relationship. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to somebody like that? Do you think that you have to parent the exact same way and hold all those beliefs in the same way to continue a friendship? Or what do you do when those kind of awkward conversations come up where yeah. you don't really see eye to eye? Oh, I I love this question. Here are a few thoughts that are coming up for me. Do I think that we need to parent in exactly the same way as all of our friends no. And I don't think it's realistic to assume that we will, that even friends where we are, for the most part, very aligned in terms of our approach to parenting and our values and our perspectives are 
practices will differ moment to moment. And they should because we have different kids, right? right? And how we parent both of our children, how I parent both of my sons is a little different because they are different people. So it's not realistic to assume that we will always be aligned with our friends. And so this is actually a situation that we will all encounter in our friendships when we are parents. I do think that there's value in having a friend, at least one who we feel aligned with most of the time. And the reason is because that is, again, a tremendous source of support. It's a source of informational support. We can turn to that person and say, what do you think I should do here? What did you do in a similar situation? And let's face it, we all need that from time to time. As parents, it's a tremendous source of validation. We want someone that we trust to be able to say, you are doing a good job. I would have handled it exactly like that. Keep it up. I know this is hard. And when that's coming from someone who we feel, again, aligned with, it, it can carry a little bit more weight. So I do think it's important that we at least have a friend that we can turn to and that we feel connected to on that level. Um, the other idea that I think is important to drive home here is that it's okay to set boundaries and limits about the kinds of topics that get discussed. And sometimes those boundaries need to be made explicit. Um, And there's a way to do that with tact that doesn't necessarily lead to greater conflict in the friendship. So for example, if you and your uh, friend really differ when it comes to uh, sleep training, I'll use that as an example because I have a feeling that will resonate with (laughs) a lot of your community here, right? You can frame this as, you know, I'm noticing that I tend to get really anxious, actually, when we're talking about that. And so I am noticing that for my own well-being and peace of mind, I love to focus on this other area. And maybe you choose to make it explicit and focus on an area where you really are aligned. Find those those commonalities, find those points of connection and give those more space. And then turn to the people where you do feel a little bit more aligned um, with to, to talk about those other difficulties. And the last piece of advice that I would give is sometimes we really find that challenging because we're looking for external validation. We Again, we want that friend to say to us, you're doing a good job. I would have handled it exactly like that. We can send those same messages to ourselves. And in moments where we don't feel aligned with the person that we are connecting with, I think those are the moments where it's even more important to check in with ourselves and and really show ourselves that compassion. That is such great advice. So then how would you know if friendship is actually not really serving you or is not healthy anymore? And how do you navigate? I feel like yeah. this is even harder than a romantic breakup sometimes. How do you handle like that friendship breakup? Yeah. So that that comment that you just shared of a friendship breakup in a lot of ways being more painful than a romantic breakup, that is something that I hear. And of course, I, I have a little bit of a bias here, right? Given that this is what I what I speak about all day, but having worked with couples as well, there is something particularly painful about a friendship breakup. And part of the reason why they are so painful is because they tend to be unexpected and because they tend to not be spoken about openly. When we break up with a partner, very often our friends rally behind us. And there's a whole host of almost rituals that take place to help a friend cope with that kind of a loss. But friendship breakups often go unshared and unheard, and we aren't open about the pain that's there. And so we end up feeling even lonelier. And there's this other piece, which is really important to 
emphasize, which is that our friendships are voluntary in many ways, more so than any other relationship that we have. We choose who our friends are and we choose on a a daily basis to stay connected. And that's why they're so powerful and important for our sense of being and our sense of self-worth. But it's also why it's so painful when they end because we internalize that and we personalize that. And we start to believe that that's a reflection of our worth, our worth as a person, our worth as a friend. uh, And it can just be tremendously painful and isolating. How do we cope with this? This is a really important question. And I think you also asked the question of, well, how do we know when it's time, which is maybe an even more important place to start. So my best advice is to pay attention to patterns that yes, of course, there are friendships where for one reason or another, there's been some sort of massive shift or betrayal. And that particular moment just sparks the end of that connection. But more often than not, it really is this gradual growing apart. And when you start to notice that when you spend time with this friend, after you've spent time with this friend, when you you are about to spend time with this friend, or you see they sent you a message or they're calling, you just feel that sense of dread, that sinking feeling of, oh, I don't have the energy to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm not ready. If that is coming up more often than not, if that fear that there'll be a sense of disconnection or pain, if that is showing up on a regular basis, that's a good clue that there's something going on in that dynamic that is not healthy. And so while I'd love to give one clear answer of this is when you should let go of a friendship, that subjective experience of how do I feel when I'm around this person, that's actually the most predictive response to when we should let go of a friendship. The other piece that I do want to just bring up here, though, is the receptiveness to feedback, which I think is something that really often gets missed, that when we start noticing that we are feeling a certain way in our friendships or that we're feeling unfulfilled, we almost have this expectation that, well, I guess I should just cut and run. Mm-hmm. I guess either I either I stick it out and I suffer and hope that things will change or at least avoid an awkward conversation, or I just need to put an end to this friendship because it's no longer healthy. And I don't know why we we are so quick to do that all or nothing thinking in our friendships because we don't do that in our romantic relationships. If things aren't going well in our romantic relationships, we might think, well, have I spoken to my partner about what's going on? Do we want to try couples therapy? Can I turn to a friend and ask them for advice? But we we don't really approach our friendships with the same level of intentionality. And uh, I think that's doing it a disservice because there are friendships where with a little bit of intentionality and a little bit of effort and an openness to feedback on both ends, they can be salvaged and they can actually come out even stronger. That's so true. I feel like a lot of what I hear is more of this like ghosting mentality where you just kind of stop responding, stop, you know, hanging out with them. And it just kind of like slowly fades away instead of ever having like a breakup conversation or like you said, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out if you can salvage it. It's very funny how it's it's so different the way we handle it. And I think probably a lot of that is like societal expectations, right? You have this idea that your friendships are supposed to be from childhood to death. Like you're just supposed to have the same group of like core best friends and lots of them for your whole life, which is I think really more probably rare than it is the norm, right? Very much so. Does it happen? Of course. Is it beautiful when it does? Yes. I love hearing those stories Mm -hmm. of lifelong friendships, but there's some really interesting research that shows that we actually, as adults, replace half of our friend group every seven years. And so what that means is that each of us is going to be tasked with both letting go of certain friendships and, and navigating that appropriately and 
building new connections. This again is an inevitable human experience. And when we can tap into that, it really helps to normalize it and put it in perspective and also puts the onus on us to think about, well, how am I actually going to go about navigating that? Sure. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Okay. We're going to take one more quick break. We'll be right back. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Okay, we are back with Dr. Miriam, and I would love for you to tell us just a little bit about, because it's mostly parents that are listening, and so, of course, we're thinking about our own friendships and, you know, people in our own lives, but then we also want our kids to have healthy friendships and relationships, and I know that your focus is on adults, but you also mentioned uh, at the beginning of the episode that, you know, how we navigate friendships in our early life can impact us later, so what would be some pieces of advice that you would give to a parent on, you know, modeling good friendships and maybe explicitly teaching our kids how to be a good friend? Yeah. Well, you hit the nail on the head with something that you said there. My first piece of advice is to be a good friendship role model that very often we are again, thoughtful and intentional, or at least we try as, as best as we can to be, and to model healthy relationships, healthy romantic relationships. We want to demonstrate a certain level of intimacy, of closeness, of trust, of communication, of collaboration. And children who have those types of relationship role models in their life tend to go on to have healthier relationships as adults. And that's true of our friendships as well. And so, again, this is one of those spaces where we might think that investing in our own friendships is taking time away. It's taking time away from us being a present parent, from being able to teach our children all the wonderful things that we want to teach them about what it means to have and be a good close friend. But 
letting our children see that we prioritize our friendships and that sometimes we might not be around because we're going to catch up with a friend, that sometimes we are initiating plans to get a group together in our own home, in our own space, and that our friends see that our our friendships are at the center of our lives in many ways, that's actually one of the most powerful things that we could do and sometimes carries far more weight than than giving some kind of a lecture about the importance of friendship. Children are very sensitive to um, hypocrisy. And so if we are walking around championing the importance of friendship without modeling all of the effort and intentionality that goes into building and maintaining those close connections, that doesn't sit so well with kids, even kids of a young age. So that's the first piece of advice is to invest in your own friendships and to make that visible and to recognize that that's a great gift that you are giving your children. I do also think coming back to what we were talking about before, this subjective experience of feeling close and connected and feeling good when you're around your friends, that that's a seed that we want to plant early on. And we can do that by asking our children questions. Uh, what do we say? We say, who did you play with today? Right. Who, who did you, who did you play? And if we're lucky, maybe they'll give us a name or they say no one. Right. (laughs) But in addition to asking that question, we want to start asking questions like, well, what did you feel like when you were playing with them? And did that make you feel good? And how did they show you that they were being a friend to you? And how did you show them that you were interested in, in playing with them. Those types of questions and reflections can really help children to start understanding what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to have a friend? Because it's not just about that parallel play right. that we see early on in life. It really is about that good feeling that we are all in search of. And even young kids can really start to understand and appreciate that nuance. I The last thing that I'll say here, I'm happy to continue talking about this, is we also want to give space to the more challenging parts of friendship. And very often what we can do, because it hurts so very much to see our children in pain, is that we're open to hearing the good things and we want to hear, who did you play with? And how did that make you feel? And that felt great. Wonderful. But sometimes our children will feel excluded and not sometimes this will happen many times over the course of their lives. And it hurts so much to see that as a parent. And what we really want to do is just offer a non-judgmental space where children can process that, where they can sit with that, where they can learn to sit with that and to be gentle with themselves as opposed to feeling as, as though that's a, a feeling that shouldn't be shared, that there's shame surrounding that, that it's something to just be squashed the research tells us that the experience of social exclusion, that that actually activates the same areas of the brain as physical pain. And so the experience of feeling excluded by a peer, by a friend, it literally hurts. It hurts our children. It hurts us as adults and it hurts us as parents to see our children in that pain. And so showing up in those moments and offering that safe space to just be in that with them, that is so very helpful as well. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you talked about that. We're dealing with this right now because my son just started kindergarten this year and he's doing so great. He's super happy at school. But my husband came home almost in tears last week after dropping him off because he said he approached this group of kids and they just kind of turned their back to him. And my husband was crushed by that. And he stayed and watched it a little longer and said, you know, he like eventually went and found a different group and he's totally fine going in. But it's true. It really does hurt. And I think we as parents get so afraid of those things happening that we we almost make it we like unnormalize it. Right. We make it seem like this like shameful thing to be rejected or to be ignored or excluded and and 
we almost make it like too big of a deal, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it really can help to just, as you said, normalize it, just offer a space to talk about what that's like. Sometimes that problem solving can be helpful in terms of, well, you know, what did you do when they turned your back to you? What could you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes are really helpful in there is sharing a little bit about your own experiences of social isolation as a child or exclusion. Yeah. Not only again helping to normalize it, but it, it just it just brings the conversation to a level where children end up feeling heard and connected, yeah. and yeah. not as though they're being spoken down to. So there are all sorts of strategies that can help there. But but I think for starters, having the conversation and being willing to have that conversation and helping children to come up with other explanations. I think that that's actually a really important thing that we don't talk about quite enough that when children turn their back to you, does that mean that they don't like you or is there something else that's going on there? Is there another way to make sense of it? Maybe they just weren't interested in the game that you wanted to play. Is that possible? Maybe they didn't hear you ask if you, if you know, if you wanted to be a part of the activity, can you generate as many possible explanations as you can in an effort to push back against our brain's natural tendency to personalize rejection? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such a good tip. And I think that's harder for little ones who don't have that scale of perspective taking yet, but yeah, like my, my son is so funny because he he loves talking about all these dynamics of his friendships and how they're changing throughout the year. He says, you know, the people who used to play with me all the time don't play with me anymore, but now I play with kids that I used to not play with. And so he, you can just see the wheels turning at this age with like, how does this all work? And it's so fascinating. And yeah, we we've started to kind of talk through things like that. Like, well you know, this person doesn't want to play with you. So does that mean they don't like you? They're not your friend anymore? Or is it just that maybe they don't want to play that dragon game for the hundredth day in a row? Maybe you want to switch up the game that you're offering or, or ask them if they have an idea. It's hard though. It's because it does bring up a lot of our own stuff from childhood too as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, part, that's again, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's another one of those points of connection. And just as we can use our friendship history and our current connections to model appropriate, healthy connections. I often hear when I'm working with clients, how caught off guard we can be that our children will bring up past memories or experiences of exclusion in a way that is surprising and that we thought we had made peace with. And so the same way I'm encouraging people to be gentle with your, your children, be gentle with yourself, that these kinds of conversations can be triggering. They can make you feel incredibly vulnerable. And sometimes revisiting your friendship history and current connections is a necessary part of being able to be a present supportive parent. For sure. Dr. Miriam, this has been such a rich and helpful conversation. I feel like I wish we could talk for hours. Um, Where can listeners, or actually first, sorry. I would love to know, this is something that I try to ask all parents. What is something that no one told you before becoming a parent that you felt completely unprepared for or that you wish someone had mentioned before you had kids? Oh, that's a great question. What is something no one told me? I don't think I was quite prepared for the amount of sensory overload Mm -hmm. that parenthood brings with it, especially because there really is this stark contrast between moments of intense quietness and loneliness and other moments of just complete overwhelm and chaos and oscillating back and forth between those two extremes is uh, was quite unfamiliar 
to me. So that is something that I didn't quite feel prepared for and have had to do a lot of work around in terms of self-soothing and self-regulation to be able to do the co-regulation work that is so very necessary as a parent. So that's that's one thing that comes up. So for me. true. Oh my gosh. I think most of us can probably relate to that one. Dr. Miriam, how can listeners connect with you and find your valuable resources? So if you visit my website, which is miriamkermeyer.com, I have loads of free resources there in the form of podcast conversations like this one here, articles, interviews. They have a free resource guide that's there, five ways to create connections that count. That's a really great starting point with actionable steps and mindset shifts to take to really strengthen the quality of your connections and friendships. So I would recommend starting there. I have my newsletter that I send out monthly-ish. It's called Friendly Advice. And then I'm also on on all of the social platforms, especially Instagram at Miriam Kermeyer. Okay, amazing. And you have a new course coming out, Confidently Connected. That is actually launching, well, next week. So February 5th to the 11th is registration week. And this is a course that has been in development for well over a year. I cannot wait to share this with people. It's all about building meaningful friendships in adulthood. So yes, of course, it covers that background information, some of which you spoke about today in terms of why are they important and what does a healthy quality friendship really look like. But more more than that, it's a practical how-to guide of everything from where do we actually go to meet new people, has customized apps and communities and platforms, but how do we approach people that we are interested in getting to know? How do we actually move from an acquaintanceship to a close friendship? And how do we carve out time and uh, more meaningful conversations to be able to strengthen those relationships over time. And I'm really looking forward to sharing that. So it's self-guided and it opens next week. And uh, yeah, that sounds so great and so needed. I will make sure to put all of the information for people in the show notes because I'm sure lots of people after hearing you speak are going to be like, give me more, please help me more. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Same to you. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.